This is gonna hurt. It's time, it's time for the Suffering, for the suffering Podcast. podcast. Thank you for listening to part one. To do this story justice, we had to break it up into two parts so that the whole story can be told. Thank you for joining us for the conclusion, part two, of the suffering of an officer-involved shooting with Mike Arena. I'm Kevin Donaldson here with Mike Felice. Welcome back for part two of the suffering of officer-involved shooting with Mike Arena. I know, I know, I know. I heard it all from you in the past. Listen, I read, I read the comments all week. Yeah, it's not good. You know, listen, it's bad. Listen, it's Kevin that wanted to do it. I wanted to do it in one episode. Kevin wanted to do it in two. So everybody that's complaining, but we're, Kevin's way. we're really glad you're back. And while while uh, you come back, don't forget to check out Toyota of ha- uh, HackensackToyota.com. Let them find you a car because we don't trust anybody, but we do trust them. Mike, thanks for coming back up. Not a problem at all. There was no way we're doing that in one. No, it's uh, and I I appreciate you guys having me back on. I, I just didn't think there'd be any way he'd come to North Jersey twice in you know. Like I said, that traffic week. is a killer, but you know, you guys are cool guys. So, so his aftermath, Mike's aftermath, has a lot to do with you. Absolutely. And when I first heard it, when I first heard what you went through. And knowing what you went through, I'm like, yeah, that, that's going to that in and of itself is a, is a whole episode. Right. Mike, Mike and I had a phone conversation today, and we, yeah. we talked yeah. all about it. So we're right yeah. on the same page. Yeah. So I got another social media question this week, and it comes from Jacques Rule, okay, a cousin of Jacques Rule. Um, it says, "Who's who's a better singer, Frank Sinatra or Elvis Presley?" Elvis. No, that's not. I, I, I got to go with Elvis, guys. Elvis. <sighs> Elvis is the only man I'd ever sleep with. Yes, that is a suffering podcast exclusive. From the grave, too. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> even, the only, he, even being dead. Well. The only one you'll admit sleeping away. <laughs> so Jacques, that one time in band camp. <laughs> hey, what's, what, what happens in Vegas during his residency there stays in Vegas. Uh, so Jacques writes, is on the job, what call made you stop and say, wow? You know, being a cop, you, you, you get into a lot of, a lot of uh, traumatic experiences. And probably one of, one of my first first traumatic experiences was a, a three-year-old that was uh, in a pool. Um, her parents, unfortunately, mm. were heroin addicts, and uh, they were doing drugs outside. Uh, they got high, passed out, let their three-year-old wander into their uh, neighbor's backyard, and uh, unfortunately, uh, she was found uh, face down. Um, that was definitely one of the eye-opening calls of my career. Like, this is, this is how real... This is how real, real, this is how real life is. Like there's no sugarcoating it. You know, there's no gumdrops and strawberries in life. This is the shit that really goes on. You know, and see, that's what the general public doesn't see about yeah. law enforcement. All they complain about is, you know, you, you eat donuts, you drink free coffee, yeah. you make a lot of money. That mm-hmm. is true. But you don't see. All those things are true. Yeah. I mean, they don't see maybe the, that. Like the lot of money thing that's kind of. It's Jersey. And, yeah. And, it's and the donuts too. I don't eat donuts. So. Really? No, I never yeah, eat I, 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 like I didn't donuts. eat. I, I like donuts. I don't eat them though. I'm not doing it. My hips get too big. (laughs) (laughs) Mike, sleep with those guys. (laughs) Mike, what do you think? I mean, that's a tough act to follow. Three year old face down. Their parents are going to be real pissed off when they sober up. You know, one one that that really gets me, and it actually resurfaced this week, was um, we were working, I think it was a Sunday morning, and we get a call of a um, cardiac arrest. And from a small town, I know the family. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew the guy that was having the heart attack. Yeah. I knew his wife. I knew his two sons. Mm-hmm. Sunday morning, we're at minimum. You know, I go to the house. Guy's on the couch. Almost blue at this point. Rip yeah. him off the couch. I'm doing CPR in front in front of his wife. Right. And his son went to Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. Right. 
So I'm sitting here, I'm doing CPR on a guy, and I'm trying to pump him up. I'm singing a Notre Dame fight song to him. I'm going like, come on, let's go, wow. let's go. I'm like, cheer, cheer for old, you know, just trying to rev him up a little bit. And uh, we wound up losing him. But I actually ran into his his widow the other day. There was an incident going on at a, at a baseball game, fight at a baseball, high school baseball game, long story. I saw that she was close to it. Right. So I ran right up to her and I grabbed her and gave her a hug. Mm-hmm. And her friend said to her, she goes, are you okay? She goes, yeah, my protector's right here. Yeah. That's nice. So that was just, you know, every time I see her, she goes out of her way to come over and say hi to me. It, it's one of those calls that just stuck with me. Those for are the, the tough ones, yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, it's tough. When you know someone and you're doing CPR on it them. It becomes personal. Mine's, mine's a little less serious. We had a uh, gentleman in town who, this is before the trans movement was as popular as it was today. And if you were to see this guy, he looks like about the 1978 state wrestling champ. Barrel mm-hmm. chest. He used to walk around without a shirt on all the time. Beard. Bald. Right. Yeah. Um, he was he was an EDP. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had to send him to a crisis center. And I had to stand there and watch him get dressed. Pulls down his pants and... There's nothing there. Wow. See, that's the wow moment. I was like, wow. <laughs> yeah. Where'd your wiener go? <laughs> like that, that, that's what it was. It was a wow moment. Yeah. And um, I certainly was. If you were to see this this guy, I wasn't expecting it. Right. I really wasn't expecting it. But back in the day, it's a, it's a lot different now. But back in the day, in order to go through the entire sex change process, mm-hmm. you had to go through a... a a battery of psychological tests. And I think the only one that did it was Johns Hopkins in in, uh, Baltimore. So it wasn't as easy as, as you could. He, he had had his breasts removed and was never able to go full man. Yeah. Was never to go full manscaped. Yeah. Um, and he wasn't manscaped by the way. Didn't have the whole plumbing. No. Yeah. It's that he was missing something, but, um, you know, he, he was so, he was one of those guys that, he just wanted to be listened to. Yeah. Just wanted, he was an EDP, but he, he just wanted somebody to listen to, but he was combative. So mm. there was guys coming in there and they, isn't, oh, I can't say his name, but he would sit there and, and you're watching his body language it, do this. It was Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> you're watching his body. No, I actually got along with him because I'm, he kept saying like bugs are flying into the wall. I'm like, really? And he goes, yeah, I went to a hotel and the bugs flying in the wall. So I always got along real good with him because I just, all he wanted somebody to do right. was listen. How many rookies did you put him up? Like when you had a rookie, were you like, did you sit yeah. back and laugh when like, the rookie went to talk? A hundred percent. Maybe once or twice. We've all had those EDPs 100%. in our room. Like, oh, rookie, by the way, you're going to go hang out with him today. But whenever there was a problem with him, they would call me in there and I said, guys, it's, it's not magic. It's just listening it's to just him. Talking to the Andrew. But when he pulled his pants down and there was no wiener there, I was like, hmm, wow. That is a that is that is the wow moment. Well, yeah. wasn't that the most fun busting the rookies though back in the day? Yeah, it oh, was God, it, we had so much you, fun. You always had like that EDP or that one house, you know what I mean? Yeah. That when that, that address came and out, you're like, kid. Oh my god, here so, you go, young hey, one. Hey kid. Hey, you go. Go. <laughs> I work very closely with the police department in my town that right now, in, in the town that I work in. And what they do to the rookies is damn near criminal. Really? It's damn near criminal. So there's a section of town where fog always sits. Mm-hmm. So they send this guy over there. Go see if it's a foggy condition on this road. Goes over there. Yeah, it's very foggy over here. Okay, um, make a call to the to the, the county defogging machine <laughs> to come out. And this guy did it. And the same guy. So this same, the, and I have to believe there's something wrong with the guy. He was dipping in there. He, he goes, I want to, I want to stop dipping. And he's like, well, just go cold turkey. Right. Week later, he comes back. He's, I've been putting cold turkey in my lip, and it's not no working. No way. Which is wonderful. Which is absolutely wonderful. And he also thought that uh, 
a 36,000 mile a year lease is if he got up to 36,000 miles, he could just turn it in. But that's besides the point. But the- We had a guy whose dog passed away, right? And he comes in, he's all sad. And he goes, my dog passed away last night. The guy goes, what are you doing here? He goes, oh, no. Whoa, you, man. you get a bereavement day. You know, go no. in and talk to the administrative captain. You get a bereavement day for your dog. That's messed up. So the kid goes to the captain. He goes, uh, Cap, my dog died last night. Can I get a bereavement day? Captain looks at him and goes, get the fuck out of my office. And that's just messed up. They put him up. <laughs> but but I, it translates to, to your new life. Like that, those same little pranks, those little yes. harmless pranks. I just did it to our administrative assistant. I was putting something up in the office and I said, yeah, I need a... Uh, an Arthur head screw mm-hmm. or screwdriver. Now, I don't know if you ever watched King of Queens, but Arthur was always coming up with yeah. schemes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He developed the Arthur head screw, which was an, a manual A soldered onto the end of a screwdriver. <laughs> okay. Right? So I said, can you go into the boss? Because he held the toolkit. I'm like, can you go in the boss and see if he, got, he has an Arthur head screwdriver? And I hear her in the back, and I'm, I'm containing myself <laughs> laughing, and I hear the boss go, what? <laughs> so it doesn't translate. I, I caught a lot of crap for that, but it doesn't but, translate. Really I mean, well. we were talking about today the dark police humor. Yes, that's I mean, how we get through the day. That I mean, dark you know? humor. Even oh, my hysterical. job where I, I, I work now, um, it's a lot of cops, a lot of retired guys, and it's just how we make it through the day. It's that's like, brutal. If you sit around other cops, like you're gonna be like, "Yeah, what is wrong with you guys?" Yeah. But it's if, just, if someone's it's listening to a cop conversation, yeah. they're going to say you guys are fucked up. Easily. <laughs> Easily. Yeah, I get that a lot. So, Jacques, thank uh, you so much for sending that one. And that was kind of a fun one for me anyway. It was a little dark. Yeah, was, you, guys <laughs> went, you guys went dark. I, I, I tried to bring it back up. Keep sending in your questions. We will try to get them on the air. So the last time you were in here, this gentleman, you had to shoot. Mm-hmm. Nobody, no cop in the world wants to shoot. And that's, that's contrary to what the public believes. Nobody wants to shoot. Nobody goes out that right. day and say, hey, I'm going to take somebody's life. Last resort. We don't get in this job to take people's no. lives. Just you give- get in to protect and serve, not mm-hmm. to take a life. You know, we, we were talking about that. That's the difference in military PTSD and law enforcement PTSD. Right. In, in military, you're a trained killer. Right. In law enforcement, you're trained to protect and serve. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all PTSD, but it's... It's, it's, it's very it's two different. different things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's I want everybody to go back and watch our first episode because we did play a, a short little clip of, of the shooting. That's public knowledge. And the reason that your name in that video <laughs> is public is because of you. Yeah, thanks a lot, pal. Mike Felace. Uh, because his- yeah, I, I believe it's, um, I think the case law now is, is either state versus Linhurst. State versus or- Felace. No, or or it's North Jersey Media Group versus Linhurst, I believe it is. Oh yeah, and we we ran across that guy in another capacity, yeah, and something else. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I had to talk to him because he wouldn't talk to him. I don't blame you. Yeah, but that so that's why that is the main reason why we had to break this up into two. Yeah, because I w- I also want to get into how taking somebody's life affected you because mm-hmm. that it, unless you're just a total psychopath. That bothered. I, it had to bother you. Again, no. The the general public only sees TV police shootings. They where, for mine, it was when it was all over the news. It was a small clip of Ventnor police shoot and kill man, not armed or unarmed or anything like yeah. that. Video of him on the ground, and then our names at the bottom. But if you watch like the movies and everything, they get involved in a shooting. Next thing you know, they're back in the office talking about it and everything. It's not like that. No, it's not like that. Not at all. It's it's completely different. You get sort of demoralized because I'm sure they took your gun. You get totally emasculated. Actually, they didn't. They didn't take your gun. They did not. So they stripped me at the scene, took my uniform and everything. So there is a lot of irregularities when it comes to mine. 
uh, I got to the hospital. Um, they didn't blood test me. They didn't piss test me. Um, I took, they, Doc gave me a Xanax because the state police shooting response team was outside trying to question me. My lawyer got there and was like, absolutely not. Yeah, We're not take a Xanax because you can't say anything. Right, right, exactly. Long story short, I find out that he passes away there. I, that really upsets me because that was not my goal was to take someone's life. Um, knowing that it, a suicide by cop is, is hard when you're taking someone's life because you are forced into an action that you do not want to yeah, do. Exactly. And you're trying to exhaust every option and then you have to kill somebody. Um, who is going through an emotional time in their life, regardless if they're trying to kill you or not, but having somebody force you to kill them is hard. It's very, very hard to do. Um, Have you ever tried to stop and put yourself in his shoes? I've tried, but I can't, I can't get myself there. I I can't get myself there. And a lot of people tell me that. Um, I, I, I have started to feel differently about it. In the beginning, I was like, you know, you, this, mother, you motherfucker, you ruined my life. Right. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. It's exactly what it was. Yeah. Like, I, I, I wasn't able to say his name. I was like, fuck this dude. This dude's yeah. ruined my fucking life. Um, I, there's a mugshot of, of my guy, and um, and I couldn't look at it for the longest time. It it's hard for some people to say their names, yeah. It was plastered all over the newspapers, mm-hmm. and, and I, I couldn't look at it. But the reason I say give it time is my initial reaction, mm-hmm. and, and Hopefully you. Hopefully this will this will be what happens to you. Right. My initial reaction with the guy who shot at me, I hated his guts because I felt that he ruined my life. He put, he brought all this badness into mm-hmm. my life, made me turn into this monster that I didn't like anymore, and I I hated him. I absolutely hated him. Um, I was mad at everybody. I was mad at the world. Right now, and I'm I'm coming up on ten years that this is gone. Now, here's what I here's my thought. What was going through his head that he did that? Right. That what what drove him to that point? I also came to terms that he wasn't like your guy was not mad at Mike Arena. Mm-hmm. He was he mad at the mad world. At the uniform. Yeah. He was mad and at, mad at the uniform. Too. Yeah. yeah. He he wanted to die. My guy was not shooting at Kevin Donaldson. Mm-hmm. He was shooting at a cop. Right. He just he wanted to end this pain. And so I have a lot of I have a lot of sympathy and a lot of compassion for where what he had to right. get to to shoot at a cop multiple times. Yeah. So hopefully you'll get there because I got to be honest with you. It's a much more peaceful place to sit. Did he, did your guy pass away? No, 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 He's no. still alive. No, he's still alive. He, he's actually living in Florida and we, we have, we a, almost had him on the show. Yeah. We have a mutual friend of his, which what one day, listen, if, if he were to sit in front of me, if he were to sit in front of me or we were to meet face to face, we need to, metal detectors outside though. I I used to want to punch him in the face. Now I'd probably give him a hug and say, "Listen, it's 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 all good, brother. It's all wow. good." Wow! You talk about a chain of a, a turn of events, like, yeah. damn. I mean, God bless you. But, I I can tell you honestly, I'm no. not at that point yet. Hopefully, I will get there at some point. Some like doors have opened for me like this, um, like my nonprofit and stuff like that that I probably would have never done if this didn't happen to me. So I know doors have opened for me since this mm-hmm. and because of this. Uh but. Yeah, that's that takes a lot of humility and a lot of guts, and you should be very proud of yourself that yeah, you're at that Ke- point. Ke- Kevin and I had this conversation about having him on a podcast back in the day, but when we first started this, we were doing it in Kevin's basement. Yeah, right. my yeah, wife, my wife would have would have had a big yeah. problem yeah, to, to bring the, to bring the guy that shot at you into your basement. Yeah, yeah. And I, listen, I know where the guy is. Mm-hmm. I know exactly where he is, and and I know how to get in contact with him. Um, we 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 tried to get in contact with him through mutual friends and stuff because we actually have a mutual friend of his. Believe it or not, John. Lee. You think he yeah. would be receptive to that? 
I, I would hope so because I think he needs to heal from it as much as I need to heal from it. Right. And um, listen, as far as, as podcasting goes, I'm I'm good with it. As right. far as podcasting goes, I, I think it would be a great topic of That would be an amazing episode. I don't, I don't know if anybody's really done something like that before. But, um, but as you get further removed, you start looking at it through different eyes because as you move on in your life, you're going to accomplish some really great things. Mm-hmm. And you're, I've come to the place where had I not been in that shooting, had Mike not been in his shooting, we wouldn't be here doing this. And I, I love doing this. And I know Mike right. loves doing this. So that that one horrible incident, I had to go through some ugliness yeah. in order to get to where I feel like I'm, I belong. Mm. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping everybody gets into that place. That would be... I mean, I guess that would be a goal. I mean, is that something how like you feel too? Like, yeah, would you? like I said, your nonprofit would have never came about right. if you weren't in that incident. Yeah. Now your nonprofit's helping people. So now you have a different avenue in life yeah. where now you could help people because of the trauma that you went through. Yeah. No, you're right. You're, you're definitely, definitely right. I, I don't really. Like the, before you're shooting, do you ever think you were going to have a nonprofit? Absolutely yeah. not. I, I was literally just trying to do my 25 now, you know, like the rest of everybody else. Yeah. So what kind of pains, what kind of aftershocks did you get from the shooting? Oof. Uh, and how did your department treat you? And like, let's go from the, the day of the shooting right thereafter. Um, so the day of the shooting, it was it was tough. Uh, like, you know, I, I remember walking back after we put him on the stretcher and um, I remember looking down at the ground where he was and just just a, just a pool of blood on the side of the road. And I remember looking down and uh, there was a mushroomed bullet that fell out of him when we were moving him. Just kind of give their viewers a little bit of context. Um, when we fired at him, we fired six rounds, uh, about three and a half, four yards away, all in the you know, just center mass. Um, so think about what the exit wounds are looking like, right? Uh, so the round actually fell out of his back cavity. Um, so I remember looking at that, and I guess uh, you know you want another wow moment. That's a, that that's a wow moment. Um, if you ever see a mushroomed round, you're like, holy shit! Like just just the velocity and inertia and everything that like compacts into that round Your body be. is bending metal literally that shouldn't be bent 100 percent. and you're and, thinking like what did that bullet hit on right. the way through you know exactly yeah. as i'm as i'm literally standing there's just in his own pool of blood that i caused um or we collectively caused i i, I hate to make it about me um but it that was a very traumatic moment in itself um so that's what really kicked everything off that's what really really started the just the, the the spiral um the department was good that night uh my guys were at the hospital um they were good to me they were they were really really good uh they're the ones that told me you know that like he passed i kind of lost my shit in there a little bit um but got back to the pd you know they took my gun they actually gave me back another one because I, being in shootings if you take an officer's weapon right it's like taking his his, his identity. identity. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. We, we, it's like taking your dick. Right, like said, exactly. It's emasculating. So uh, you know if your department's good if they give you another another weapon. Um, but state police took it, took all the pictures and everything like that, the clothes, all that other shit. But what sucked is that what a lot of people don't understand is that this is a homicide investigation. And he's dead. We're alive. We caused the death. So it needs to be treated as such. So that night, we get the, our preliminary charges from the state police shooting response team of... Uh, murder one and manslaughter. That sucked to hear. Wow. I just did my job. Not that this is our job to kill people, but I just, I had, you did what you had to I do. I had to do what I had yep. to do to save my own life, my partner's lives. What you're expected civilians. to do, what you're trained to do, what right. you're paid to do. Right. 
all of this finally comes to a head and this happens, now I'm getting these paperwork saying this is the preliminary charges that you were charged with. It's going to go in front of a grand jury. That was the second wow factor, the second shock. And I remember getting a ride home from my captain at the time. Um, and who's at home at this point? My girlfriend, your girlfriend, and, and what was her reaction to? Now, now, what time of the day was this too? So uh, we shot him at four o'clock. It was like four fifteen in the afternoon. In the afternoon, um, which is to kind of go back a little bit. Uh, on the way to the hospital, uh, I picked up my phone and I called my girlfriend and I said, uh, "I said, listen, I can't tell you much. All I know, all I can tell you is that I'm I'm, I'm going to be home late tonight, but I'm okay." And she's like what's wrong? Like, that's not you. Something's wrong. I said, I can't talk about it. Just know that I'm okay. You're going to see some things on the, on the news. Don't believe it. I'm okay. And I hung up the phone. Support for the Suffering Podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped Performance Package is the ultimate men's hygiene bundle. Inside the package, you'll find the Lawnmower 4.0, Weed Whacker, Ear Nose, Hair Trimmer, and the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. And we also got the Crop Reviver Ball Toner. <laughs> this is a, this thing is a life changer. Along with that, boxer brief. I'm gonna tell you what, these are, these are like high quality boxer briefs, and I'm, this is no joke. I'm not saying this just because their manscape sent it to us. These are nice. My boys are gonna be quite happy in there. And you can't tell Kevin's wearing them under the table right now. <laughs> and we also have a nice travel package. Join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TSP at manscaped.com. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of balls. So I get to the hospital. My phone is blowing up at this point by every single one of my family members and everything like that. Uh, I call, I, I, I receive a phone call from my one of my best friends. He is a sergeant in uh, Raritan Borough. I pick up the phone and I was like, Rob, I can't talk. But the only thing I can tell you is read between the lines. I'm okay. My guys are okay, but I'm going to be home late tonight. And he's like, no problem. Click. He knew what happened without hearing the news, without just knowing the tone of my voice, knowing the person that I am being a very tactical side guy. Like Mike's only going to say this if, if this situation happened. Um, so he calls my girlfriend, tells her that I was involved in a shooting and just look at the news and everything like that. So that's how she finds out about that. Can't talk to her for the whole day. I get home at like 1230 that night after dealing with everything. And uh, I walk in the house. Thoroughly exhausted. Emotionally and physically spent. Absolutely drained. And and the kicker of it is, is my lieutenant pulls up to my house and my garage door is open and my door into my house is opened. And I was like, what the fuck is going on now? My lieutenant's like, is this supposed to be open like this? I'm like, absolutely not. So I go from dropping somebody. Now I'm clearing my own house. (laughs) <laughs> because she left everything open because she was so distraught. So I walk into the house full drawn, like, like pine clear, corners and stuff rooms. like that. And she's like, Mike, I was like, Jesus Christ, click the holster. I was like, what the fuck? I'm like, you never leave doors open. And she comes up, gives me a hug, everything like that. So that was, that was that, that was that night. And, um, couldn't sleep that night. And for weeks and months after, um, on the topic of the administration issue, they reached out, my guys reached out, my officers and partners reached out a lot. Um, administration couldn't, or let me rephrase this, 
I think that they should have, but in the temperature of this, to give the, the viewers a little bit of context, this shooting was a little over a month after George Floyd was killed. Ooh. Yeah. Right. So policing was not in a good spot. Everybody was- Tensions ru- are running high. Everybody's rioting. Cops are in the gutter. It's bad. And it's just not good. And unfortunately, this is a racial shooting. I'm white. My partner's white. This individual is black. It's a glass bottle in his hand, which is the edged weapon. Um, people are going to construe that in a way. You know what I mean? We've all been at bars before and people have broken bottles and stuff like that. And some people think like, well, what the fuck? You should have done this. You should have done that. Shoot him in the leg. Right. Yeah. Everybody's got a Monday morning quarterback. Shoot the, bottle, shoot the bottle out of his hand. Right. So this is what I, I'm giving my administration this out. Um, they would call me behind closed doors and say, hey, just reaching out, seeing if everything's good. You know, we're proud of you. Click. Well, that's fine. I appreciate that sentiment. But you should get in front of somebody and be like, our officers, we're proud of our officers of what they did. Mm. Put out some type of press release, some, something, rather than Fox 5 News saying officers shoot, you know, black male. Like, come to our aid here, because the only people that are really doing it are the keyboard warriors from other police departments saying, like, I watched this video. This guy did everything that he can. And then they're getting trampled on from the trolls saying, this is bullshit. This is this like Black Lives Matter. All the cops do are kill people. So I wish that my administration would have came out publicly and backed us more. Um, even when I was cleared, it turned into the, uh, the only sentence that was displayed was, I'm glad it's over. Um, that's the only thing that really didn't sit well with my, with me and my administration. I think they're good guys. I like them all. And I know the temperature was very hot in law enforcement, but if you truly believe we did the right thing, get up on that soapbox and preach it. See, that's one thing I have to say about my incident. My, my chief was in my corner from day one. Hmm. I mean, he was, you know, giving his interviews, you know, limited information that he can give out. Right. Saying, listen, you know. Everything was just forwarded to the attorney general's office. And I get it that it's a homicide investigation and it still needs to go in there. I, I, I understand that portion of it. I just, as a person, I wouldn't be able to sit with that. Well, they're hedging their bet. Let's say you're found guilty. Yes. You're, you, yep. What you're about to say is a thousand percent. Let's right. say you're found guilty. So they're hedging their bet. If we come out in support of this officer and he's found guilty, we're supporting a homicide. hundred percent. A, a, a murderer. Right. But I just can't see if you, if you are portraying to be this great administration this we're going to have your officers back we're going to be there for you guys no matter what a lot of guys are going to hedge their bets and you're a thousand percent right on that but there's a way to do that right you need to be able to say like we believe our officers did everything that they were trained to do at this point we're going to let the investigation go as it is and we will reconvene or whatever we have every faith in the investigative process however you need to pawn it onto somebody else at least give me at least let me see that headline. I just want to see that headline because every headline I'm seeing right now is officers going to grand jury. Officer kills black guy. Officer shoots black guy six times. Black guy dies only for having a bottle. You know what I mean? So it was, that's the third prong of me just starting to spiral. And I was going to say, you know what I went through? Like I said, my, my chief was behind me a hundred percent. He would contact me every day. My PBA was behind me a hundred percent. The mayor, mayor of our town, who who's also the police commissioner at that point, Drives down the street. He sees my ex-wife standing in front of our house. And he says, uh, hey, how's Mike doing? She goes, oh, he's good. He's inside. You want to talk to him? He said, no, just tell him. I said, hi. Right. About a month later, I see him at a town event. He goes, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. He goes, yeah, your shooting's costing us a lot of money. 
Wow. And you see that, and then it, how does it make you feel? Yeah, You're exactly. sitting there, you're like, what the fuck, man? What the fuck? I, you right. Know. So if anybody is, ag- any cop is against body cameras. Okay? Yeah. So I remember when MVRs first got into our cars. Right. And everybody was scared to death. Yeah. Um, are they going to use it to jam us up? Are they going to do this? That MVR saved me from stupid demeanor mm-hmm. complaints more times than I can tell you. Right. Had you not been wearing, in the current climate that you, that happened, yeah. in, had you not been wearing that body camera, that Forget body it. camera probably saved your, you saved you from- I'd be in jail, 100%. A, because a, it's all- to the mouth. Right. It's all he said, she said. And I worked in police departments that didn't have body cameras. Um, and I worked in police departments that did. Uh, I am for body cameras because of this exact incident. Yep. And it and this is, and in that environment, in the post months after George Floyd environment, it is- a totally subjective thousand percent. If you are wearing a badge, you are bad. That is it. There's no there. There's no uh, um, struggle between that line. There, 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 there's no blur. It's bad or good, and that's it. And you, everything you bad. could Monday morning quarterback any incident and portray it the way you want it to be uh-huh. portrayed. Except yep. for that camera. That camera doesn't have a family. That doesn't know exactly. you. It doesn't care about you. It mm-hmm. has no feelings. That's right? why I said no I, I was. Motive. I never. I was never a big fan of body cameras. We didn't have them. But in my shooting, it would have showed the showed the whole thing. Right. Yeah. You know. And and so I, the, for those reasons, yeah. It, body cameras, if they're used properly, mm-hmm. are to are there to uh, protect you. One hundred percent. It it is there to aid the officer in a situation that if they have to use any type of force or any demeanor complaint or anything like that. If your administration is using them to jam you up, get out of that department and go to another place because that's just a bad department. You know these are not intended for this use. And they should not be intended for this. And it, it eliminates transparency. Yes. So, so what, what I when I, when the officers come up now and they're they're wearing body cameras and I go and they're friends of mine. <laughs> Take video. I go. I go. The, yeah. They, you know. Yeah. Before before, <laughs> before it was uh, we we used to have to the wear mics. mic packs yeah. and we, and we do this right, but they do they do this and I said. Oh, I'm glad I'm glad you're here because I really got to take a shit. Right, I got I got. I think I pissed my pants. Like mm-hmm. I'll say something like that, and, and they're they're behind the camera and the shaking camera, their head. They're like, what are you doing? I said, I don't give a fuck. That's yeah. A, that's what yeah. I no, said. you're right. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I mean, back in the day when they were doing like road jobs and everything, they have all the cones set up. I'd take my car, I'd run over no, every you, cone. You <laughs> just you just open up your door and just. Could you imagine that being on a body cam now? Right. So, how bad did the the stress that you were under get? Were you drinking? Uh, what were you coping mechanisms? There was, there wasn't any coping mechanisms. I um, it was tough because I didn't. Everything I've done in my career, all the crazy shit I've done in my career, I've always just pushed off. I've always suppressed it. I've always just pushed it in the back of my mind, and fill in a glass. That's it. And we're cops, and that's all we are taught from day one is we are macho. We can take care of anything. Shut up, Buttercup. Suck it up, and let's move. And that's what a lot of guys are still going through today in that exact same situations. Um, so I suppressed everything for 10 years. And when that happened, the floodgates opened, grab your raft, you're along for the ride. There's nothing you can do about this. It was an emotional roller coaster. Everything I've done in 10, my 10 year career just started pouring out of me. And I wasn't going to therapy. I wasn't doing the things that I needed to do to get myself better. I was going to my therapist and we would just sit across it, literally the table like this for an hour and she would tell me, she's like, we're going to get into this. We're going to get into this. And I'm like, we're not because you don't understand. And this is not something that I'm willing to tell you because you're not going to get it. And she 
and she's great. It's uh, her, her name is Jennifer Kelly. She's a great therapist. Um, she tried doing it her way for a little bit, the therapist way. And then it got to a point where I was just being a stubborn headed douche. And she was like, you know what? I'm going to tell you something that you don't know. And I was like, great, here we go. Hey, w- throw some wisdom on me. Like, this is going to make a difference right now. She's like, my husband is a sergeant in crime scenes in the Gloucester County Prosecutor's Office. And he sees this shit all the fucking time. So if you're not going to talk to me. Changes your whole thing. Right. Yeah, if you want to exactly. talk to me, I'll get his ass in here and you'll talk to him. I'm trying to tell you that I see it not only in the professional side, Mike. I see it on a personal side because he comes home and deals with everything that he sees and I have to talk to him about this. And we have a relationship with each other that he expresses everything that he sees because he needs to. Kevin and I have both been to therapists mm-hmm. who had no fucking clue what right. was going on. And it Truly was, no it clue. Was, and that was my initial reaction to her. And then she threw this on me well, and I was well, like, fuck This me. guy he's talking about actually had no clue. Right? It, was, it was like pulling teeth trying to talk to this guy. Mm-hmm. Until we got to the great Dr. Stefanelli. Very good. Had him. Very, very Dr. good. Dr. Eugene I wanted to Stefanelli stay with him. Fantastic. It got and pushed off. Dr. Steph will just say, because you're fucked up. Yeah. Yes. The dude is that direct. Yeah, exactly. We were doing a Zoom call with him. Because you're fucked up. You were in a shooting. Nobody's supporting you. And yeah. it's like this and that. He's very, very, very direct. Very direct. And when I and, left. And, but he deals with cops alone, so he 100%. knows what you're going through. Yep. He's very easy to talk to because he knows what you're going through. Yeah. So when I left him and I wound up, you know, how workman's comp works and they're all fucked up. Yeah. They're like, you know, we're going to go this way. We're going to go that way. You know, they're throwing you to 17 different doctors. And when I got to her. I was like, I'm done with this. I'm not telling you guys anything. Because every time I do make a relationship with somebody, you just toss me off somebody else because whoever's got the lowest bid right now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck this. I'm not doing it. And for well, work, m- Workers' comp works for your town. Right. Exactly. They don't work for you. They work for you. And All it, they want to do is push you back to work. And it just foils back into yep. what you were saying, how your mayor comes and is like, your, your shooting's yeah. costing us a lot of money. Well, <laughs> you got to yeah. be kidding me about that. So I talked to her, or I'm I, now, I, now I am opening up to her. And that's when... That's when things started to change. But before that, I was drinking. Um, I'd find myself at the bar, you know, uh, like a local pub. I'm, I'm just by my house, by myself, and just doing stupid shit like that. Um, and it actually got to a point that when I went through this, and it's got to go to grand jury, which you guys know. Um, How many months? It took them 27 months, almost two years <laughs> to clear me. Uh, and you get no information from whatsoever. Wow. For so for two years, I uh, literally just sitting on my ass, sitting on my thumbs, not knowing what the hell is going on. Um, like I said, my department's not putting out anything. Uh, the state's not putting out anything, and, and every, you're not working. I'm not working, which is wor- the worst. Right. Thing. Yeah, so exactly. I'm literally just sitting there climbing the fucking walls, and I'm not doing the things that I need to do to be able to help myself. And some of the things that I haven't gone in on other podcasts, which I will now because I think it's important, especially for guys that are going through this, is that these doctors are very good. Some of them are are very good and they're going to prescribe you medications. These medications will also also alter your mind. They are going to, and they're going to tell you that, Hey guys, you know, take this Lexapro. If things go bad, call me. So there are times. What was your worst side effects with Lexapro? Uh, I, you could say it. Yeah. It's okay. We've said it before. It's literally, you are not, you are not getting hard. You're not blowing low. You're not doing anything. (laughs) It's, 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 it's sex. You're just the the sexual side of that is gone. Okay. So what you want to do is hold your hand up to your buddy's hand and take your finger and rub it like this. And that's kind of what it feels like. And it just goes on forever. And you listen, every guy's like, ah, it's going to happen all night. It's going to work all night. No, that is not fun. I'm telling you, that's not fun. Mm -hmm. It's it's, it's funny that we know that. 
Because if you're on Lexapro, you know that 100%. Yep. And some so of the, you just spit on her back and call her. Right. <laughs> and some of the side effects. Smack the ass, spit on her back, and go home. And some of the side <laughs> effects are that they're going to make you more depressive. Yeah. And a lot, I, I went through that because. Did you get the brain fog? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. And um, I went through that. I, I went through not knowing what the hell is going on. A lot of anxiety. And then what happens with your anxiety? Like, okay, hey, we're just going to give you these Xanax. So now it's another pill. And then another pill for that. And another pill for that. And another pill for nightmares. And I'm medication to find. I don't need medication. I can, I, this is my, me telling myself that I don't need medication. I can figure this all out myself. I can do this on my own. No one needs to help me through this. And I know you're just smiling because you've heard it and you, yeah, you probably absolutely. said the exact we, same we thing. We lived it. Right. You're saying the exact same thing yourself. And then I got to a point and I was like, you know what? Fuck this. I'm not, I'm not going to jail. Um, I don't care what this grand jury is going to say. Uh, they're not going to make a mockery out of me. I, I turned to myself. I said, how I, I can't do this job anymore. You know, I literally did a deep dive into myself. I looked at it and I said, you know, can I do this job? Do I want to go back and do this? A moral, that's my moral injury now happening. To me. And be put in that same situation. Right. Like there is a physical injury, right? With your head and everything like that. And then there's a moral injury. Your moral compass gets injured in this. Do you want to do it again. Can I do this exactly again? Can what if I'm, you're put in that same spot emotionally and it might, it might yep. destroy you, it right. ruin you. I or, always said if I'm in that same position and I hesitate and get killed, fuck it, I'm dead. I don't worry about it. If I hesitate and my partner gets killed, I'm not ringing a doorbell saying, the, I fucked up, daddy, daddy's dead. Nail right on the head. Yeah. If I go through a door, like the guys on my SWAT team are like, Mike, you know, come back. Like either guys on my, 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 my partners, come on, man, like come back, come back, come back. We love working with you. If I go through a door and I hesitate, Something pops in my head a split second, yep. right? And you go through the door, you know a stack, right? If you if you hesitate, right, or even when you're clearing a house, your partner bumps into you that half a second. He takes a round down the hallway. You're gonna go back to his family and say the reason he took that round is because you had a a, a brain fart at that point yep. because you shouldn't be in the position that you are. You shouldn't be doing exactly what you had. You need to be on your A game at all times during in this job. Did you get anybody saying that you're full of shit? Yeah. I did. Um, it wasn't as that direct. No, you, you always get it secondhand because nobody has the balls to come up and say it. Yeah, right. Exactly. It was a lot of guys that were like, well, dude, he's a cop. Like, isn't this what, isn't this what you guys signed up to do? And my, my reaction to that and to everybody listening less is- Less than 0.05. Right. It, that is a great, is a great statistic. Less, less than 0.05 of officers in the country, of the 700,000 officers in the United States get involved in, in, in shootings, get shot at. Right. Um, no, I'm sorry. Get involved in shootings. It's 0.1 shoot and kill. Right. And, and I, I, I heard that statistic that it is less than 1% of officers in this country take someone's life. Mm -hmm. But you know, the other thing too now is you're, you're Joe Macho cop, your SWAT guy. Mm -hmm. You're like, we should be able to handle this. Yeah. You said I was a SWAT guy since, since November right. of 2000, you mm -hmm. know, and you, you're supposed to be the big badass guy. Right. And, and that's now, what everybody looked at me as yeah. that. And I, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. And that hurt. And I, you know, I couldn't articulate why I couldn't do it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? You, you're, you're the big badass cop. You know, listen, I'm only five, nine, 185 pounds, but I always thought I was the baddest motherfucker out mm -hmm. there. You you know, I was on a SWAT team, you know, I was a submachine gun operator, you know, yeah. I was a, a physical fitness instructor, all yeah. that stuff. This got to me. My yeah. shooting got to me. It, it, it totally, rattles totally you. fucking turned me around. It rattles you to your core. And a yep. lot of people don't understand that it rattles you right to your core and really makes you second guess and think a lot about the things that sh you shouldn't be thinking about when you're working. Right. And after I did that deep dive in myself, 
the answer became no. The answer became, can I do this again? No. Do I want to do this again? No. Um, and I had to make that decision for myself and I had to take myself off the team. And I did it for the betterment of the job and the benefit of my partners. Yeah, Absolutely. of course I can go back. Like some guys can go back. I could go back and be a fucking zombie. I can go sit there and just be a zombie in my car, answer my stupid ass fucking calls. I could be then a liability to the department. And which we talked about earlier is that when you go through something like this, some departments blackball your ass. You become a liability to that department if you ask for help. Mm-hmm. And when you ask for help, you become that that stigma of this guy doesn't have it anymore. This guy can't do it anymore. You're you're that guy, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what what started leading you out of this darkness? Was it the uh, was it the decision to retire and move on? So yeah, to it, the decision to retire had me at my lowest, and my lowest point was I sat on my couch, and like I said, I, I was like, I'm not going to jail, and I'm not going to be the guy on the job to get anybody else injured, and I can't do this job anymore. And it got to the point that. I just couldn't handle it anymore. I couldn't handle the shit that was going through my head. The why did this happen to me? The point of you should you shouldn't be feeling like this way. You're ashamed. Like I'm ashamed of myself. I'm ashamed that I feel this way. I'm ashamed that the 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 state took 27 months in order yeah. to arrive at a decision when and if you if for those people who watch this video it's even from, from a lay person, you're going to be able to see like, what, what else would what, you want me to do? Right. Yeah, exactly. What else? Right. What else can I do? No, knowing that the laws are the, the lethal force is you shoot dead center mass until the threat stops. Mm-hmm. That's what you did. Yeah. That's and you would you think it'd be as black and white as it is. And after sitting on my ass for two years, I got to a point that I was at my lowest and I didn't think anything was going to change. So I sat on my couch, I grabbed my service weapon and I was like, fuck this. I'm going to put one on my chest and uh, I'm going out on my shield. Um, and as I was about to do that, about to complete that deed, uh, my garage door opener opened and, uh, my girlfriend was coming home and she comes home and I got scared. I racked a slide. I ran to the closet, put the gun in there, and um, it was going to be my secret and my secret alone. No one's ever going to find out about this. Um, started going in the kitchen, making dinner. She comes in, she sits down, and uh, she's unloading her bag, and she finds the round on the carpet that ejected from the gun. And she looks at it, and she's like, what the fuck is this? And I tried everything. I was like, no, nah, I was cleaning my gun. No, nah, I was doing this. No, nah, I was doing that. She knew. She knew exactly what I was, what I was going to do. Um, and she was like, this is it. We're not, we're not playing this game anymore. You need to grasp the fact that you're not okay. You need to get help and I'm going to help you no matter what. Uh, she put me on a plane to Arizona and I spent 30 days in an outpatient care in Sierra Tucson, uh, for for PTSD. So that's where, uh, I know Irish angel, Amanda Coleman sends a lot of people to Sierra Tucson. Yeah. And I think Josh Fidel went to Sierra. He did. Did you go through Acadia? I did. You did? Billy Billy Mazur? Yeah. Yeah. I went to high school, Billy. Yeah. So that was, that put me on the path um, to the recovery I needed just to get me out of the element of where I was because all I was doing was just sitting at my house and I was doing something that I know everybody says they should not do, 
but every cop does it, and I'm sure you guys did too, is I started reading the comments and the keyboard warriors. And you read these things and you're just like, what else am I supposed to do? What else was I supposed to do? And then you start thinking, well, if these people feel this way, what are the what are the people in the grand jury, the grand jury thinking? thinking? Eighteen to yeah. twenty one people who've never done this job ever a day in their life. Well, it's a good barometer of what they what they think because that's, right. that's 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 what you're going to get. Right, exactly. So I'm reading these messages, and I just I, I I start digging myself deeper and deeper into this hole. Well, you know, I mean, we talk about it. Once you get into that deep dark hole, sometimes yeah. you get comfortable in that hole. That's yeah, and you don't you almost don't want to get out. You're comfortable there. You're wallowing in your own misery. That's why I didn't want to. You just want to sit there and you you relegate yourself to the fact that this is my life now. Mm -hmm. When I, when I had my attempt, I, uh, I was like, I'm not going, I I don't need to go to this. I'll be fine. Like I'm good. You know, I'll go to my therapy sessions and do what I need to do. And she was like, no, this is, this is not like, this is not okay. You're going to try this again. And I was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And I, I'm very grateful for her because I put her through fucking hell. Like, I listened to your podcast and the shit that you were doing. You know what I mean? And that's what happens. Like, that speed bump that you were talking about. That ain't half of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you just don't have that filter, that right. speed bump to say, okay, I should not be saying this. I should not be doing this. It's just immediate. You Thought are, action. Thought that's action. It. You're right there. She. I, I remember I got into an argument with her because, so where my sink is to where our dishwasher is, is about four inches, right? She was washing something and didn't put it in the dishwasher. I got so mad, I went to the to the garage and I grabbed like a ruler and I was like, do you see this? This is four fucking inches. This is four inches. Your lazy ass can't take this and put it in here. This is four fucking inches. And I think back on that now and I was like, dude, that's a, you're a douche. Man. I used to throw remotes. Right. I must have broken 10 remotes throw, right. throwing it at her. Mm-hmm. And listen, I've never, I've never laid a hand on my wife. Right. I've never laid a hand on a woman. Why I would think... You got two kids. Uh, why would I? Th- so you had to put a hand on a woman at one point or another. <laughs> no, that's artificial insemination. <laughs> we don't do that stuff. I'm I'm a Christian. Yeah. Why I would throw a remote at her? Number one, I got to buy a new remote, which yeah, really, which really right. sucks because then I got to program. It, that's the pain in the ass. It sucks even more. But seriously, this is a woman who has no idea. And it's probably the same with your girlfriend. Has no idea really what's going on in your head. No, they're because just, we don't talk about it. They're yeah, just exactly. trying to navigate these these unfamiliar waters. Walking on glass. They're walking on glass and eggshells the entire time. And whatever time they would ask you, be like, "Hey, is, is everything? Okay? Yeah, I'm fucking fine. Yeah. All right." And that's that. That's the answer. Like, I would, I'd be sleeping or attempting to sleep because I didn't sleep for two fucking years, I'd get up in the middle of the night, four, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, I go in the garage and I change oil on my car. You know how many times I change oil on a car that di- that didn't even, wasn't even driving? I was just something just to do something. Well, you know, I mean, you think about their perspective. They're now dealing with someone that they didn't start dating. Yes. Yes. Because right? you're a totally different person. 100% different person. You know, they, they started dating you as, mm-hmm. you know, Mike, the, the right. corrections officer or the cop or right. whatever you are at that point. Now they're dealing with Mike. The mess. Mm-hmm. The, the mess. mess. Yeah. The mess. So, so it's, it's a totally different person that they're dating. My, yeah. My wife says something and it bothers me. Mike knows my wife. She's a very sweet woman. She, she said something that bothers me and every, and she'll say it every once in a while and she'll always tear up when she says it. Mm-hmm. She goes, I didn't know whether, cause I was sleeping downstairs at the time. Yeah. She goes, I didn't know whether I was going to wake up and find my husband dead. Think about that. Think about... And, and that probably your, rocked you to your core. Your, your girlfriend probably thought the same thing. I don't know whether I'm going to come home one day and find you dead. After that night, after she found that round, yeah, yeah. definitely. And that's why she took the the initiative and she took the bull by the horns. And I got to thank her for it. We have since broken up and it was largely in part just to the way that 
I didn't handle situations very, very well. Um, but I have to give her the credit where credit is due. She took the bulls by the horn. She flew me out there and l- l- flew back that next day. Literally, like she did everything that need- she needed to do to help me. It just got to the point there. I didn't want to help myself. It's a long road with, with your spouse, you know, and I can attest to this yeah. as well. It's a long road and sometimes it never returns. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it never returns. Sometimes you got to fight like hell to get it back. Yeah. And, and you know, things with my wife and me, they're different. They're different. Now. And they will be. Yeah. You're, gonna you're be never going to be the same person again. Yeah. Never. It's crazy how, how, how quick you can change as a person from an incident. Yeah. And like I said, 10 years removed and my, my anniversary is coming up and Mike and I, like Mike's anniversary, September 14th, mine's July 10th. Mm-hmm. And I know. Oh, like, how do you we, do with like a horrible? Like, yeah. Horrible. Uh, oh. I generally go down the shore. I get away from everything, go down the shore, whether it's by myself or, right. or go down with someone. I just go down and but just. But July, you got to do it with the fireworks. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's, it's, yeah that's another. It's, it's a, that's a whole other it's, thing. It, it, that's another it, it, issue. It gets to me too. I, I have to watch the fireworks. Like if I'm standing with my back to the fireworks and I start going. Oh, away, so you got to see, you can hear the pop. You got to see what it is. And my, I, my daughter was running track. I had to stare at the starter. Oh, uh, with the gun? To see the gun going off. So now it, it, with with our anniversaries, he'll send me a text on my anniversaries like, hey, bro, you good? Mm. Thinking about it. And, and listen, it's very gay. Okay. Mike, uh, Mark, our, 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 our good friend, he's going to agree with me. It's it's very emasculating <laughs> on this. When when I got to send a text to another dude saying, "Hey, bro, are you okay? I'm thinking, yeah. I'm thinking about you." Right, not right. in that way. Even though my pants are down. You, you know what? It's not only the anniversary though. It's the like the week leading up to the anniversary, and it's the anxiety mm-hmm. knowing that that day's coming up, knowing I, that that anniversary's coming up. Again. It's my nephew's birthday on that. Uh-huh. Right. So this so every single year, like we go to the party and everything like that, and everybody's playing. Hey, man, you good? You good? I'm just like, God damn it. Fuck. Mine was on my twentieth wedding anniversary. Jesus, omen. <laughs> right. So, so I don't 20th know. Twentieth wedding anniversary. I don't know if it's like if like this with you. It's as time moves on, I start anticipating that that shitty time around July tenth, mm-hmm. and the the anxiety, the amount of time I spend on that anxiety seems to grow. Like I'm starting to feel it now. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And as recording this, it's what is it, May twenty fourth. And I start feeling it now, two right. months, a month and a half ahead. Yeah, and it just gets probably progressively worse. I have to, I have to learn how to break that. Like that's what I'm noticing in the past year or two. I don't know if that happens with you, Mike. Well, my my shooting happened two twenty seven in the morning. Mm. For the first couple years, at two twenty seven in the morning, I was up at the scene because I felt like you know, uh, like I had, I had to be there. It was just this weird feeling. Where this two, was after you retired. It, well, it was the following year. I was still, I was still on workers' comp. Okay, yeah, right. But I did it for about three years after that. Too, wow, so, yeah. Yeah. I had to be at the scene at two twenty-seven in the morning. That's that's yeah. tough. Oh yeah, it's tough. Well, one time I was coming home, and it was right on an overpass on one of our main roads. Right. One time I was coming home, and it was late at night, and they had a motor vehicle stop right at my shooting scene. Mm. I had to pull over. And I probably sat there for probably half hour. Scared the shit out of you. Half hour, just going, like, "What the fuck? So you, yeah. is, is it ever going to end?" Yeah. You know, it's tough. You go through retirement. You you retire. You you yeah. you're good. But now you have you're you're a young man. I don't know how. I don't even. I'm know thirty one. You're thirty one. Wow, you're really young. Um, when are we going to get people over fifty seven in here? Because they're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> um. <laughs> So you you finally retire, leaving yeah. this job which seemed like you had a lot of passion for. Yeah. Did you ever figure out what's next? 
Uh, I did, actually. Um, so, like I kind of brought up in the last one and, and touched on a little bit here, is that I do have a nonprofit that I started. But that wasn't what you wanted to do as a job. Right. It was just something that kind of popped up. Um, I don't really, <laughs> to be honest, I'm still kind of going through that right now. Um, I, I work at Street Cop Training right now. Um, I like the job. It's fun. But I haven't really found that calling like I had when I was a police officer. And you're gonna... Nothing nothing will ever fill those shoes right. again. Right. And I'm trying to I'm trying to at least find something so that that's when, you know, me and my partner, uh, Rick Fink, we started the officer support initiative. Well he did and he he brought me on and Rick's story's pretty incredible. He was uh the first responding officer to the Pulse nightclub shooting. Really? Wow. Yeah. So he has been through the shit. And he saw my podcast on street cop training and messaged me and was like, Hey dude, you know, we hit it off right away. He's like, I want to start this. Um, cause you know, he's looking to, you know, possibly retire cause he is going through, he tried to go back to work. He tried to do it again. And every single time he goes to a traumatic call, it, it, it shakes him. He calls me and he's like, dude, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. It's a, you, I, you need to understand that if you can't, you need to step back for the betterment of the job and the betterment of the guys, you need to take yourself off the team, put your ego aside. And realize that you're doing this not only for yourself, your family, but you're doing it for your guys. Honestly, this this show here, the Suffering Podcast, has been the closest in satisfaction mm-hmm. that I've ever gotten to with whatever I've done. I've, right. I've done a few things since I've retired that police work gave me. Right. That same type of satisfaction. Because you're helping. Yeah. yeah. But in, in the same respect, how are the rides home from here at night? Sometimes they're a little rough. Yeah, I know it's going to be rough for me tonight because yeah. it's, it's just bringing back the flood of memories. Yo, yeah, you know? this, I mean, my ride home is going to yeah. be like, fuck me. Yeah. <laughs> so. but, that's, but each time I, I go out and talk about it, mm-hmm. each time, or we're in here talking about it, it's easier to digest. Right. It's much easier to digest because you might say something that nobody's ever said to me before. Mm-hmm. And I might say, you know what? I, that's, yeah. And, and I'll, I'll think about it. I'll ruminate for on it for quite a while. But right. hopefully with Officer Support Initiative, you find that same feeling of purpose because it's all about purpose. And that's exactly what we're, we're doing. Um, uh, we have an Instagram page. It's, uh, it's the officer support initiative and, um, it's blown up over the last couple months. We have officers from all across the country reach out to us and tell us about, you know, their stories of either their officer involved shootings or, you know, whatever traumatic incident that they're going through. We've had guys call us literally in tears and just like, Hey man, I saw you guys on like Instagram. I know you guys have been through the shit before. And, I just need somebody to talk to. And our big thing with that is, is with the officer support initiative is we're trying to break the stigma that is if you go to your department and ask for help, right? We're all cops in this room. The whole mental health stigma. Right. You know, if you go to your department and you're like, Hey guys, listen, like that last call really shook me. It's either dude, just get the fuck back out there. It is what it is. We all have shit that we need to deal with. We just don't. So go back in your patrol car and be a nice little patrolman and suck it up. Or, they're like, okay, fine. You know, you got something wrong with you. Here's your rubber gun until we figure everything out. And then once you do get labeled, you are labeled forever. Forever. Absolutely. And that's what stops a lot of guys from opening up. And I'm pretty sure you guys had in your career critical incidents that stuck with you before your shootings, right? Of course. And I'm pretty sure there probably was some times where you were like, shit, I got to go talk to somebody. I should go talk to somebody. Or you probably didn't think that way because I know I didn't because you know if you did, you would be labeled. Yep. Right. Well, as I said, I think I brought it up on the on the last episode. We call it filling the glass. Mm-hmm. Every one of these incidents you go to, you're filling the glass. Oh yeah. The, if you don't get rid of some of that water that's in that glass, mm-hmm. it's going to overflow. It's going to spill over sooner yeah. or later. 
And that's that's when you pretty much lose your mind. And that's what happens on the last critical yep. incident we deal with, right? That's what happened with mine. Pretty sure yours and yours. So if you found somebody else in who, now that you go out and speak with other officers involved in shootings, mm-hmm. what do you think the the one piece of key advice is that you give them stuff that, from the stuff that you learned? That you can think that you're the biggest, baddest guy, the hardest charger, the toughest, you know, SOB out there, SWAT guy, you know, best patrolman ever, whatever, whatever you think that you are, everybody has a breaking point. There's a breaking point in every person's head. And when somebody goes through a traumatic incident that you need to take a step back and really identify what it is, sit with it and recover from it, heal from it and get the help that you need. And on that same caveat, I speak to a lot of the administrators out there and people listening here, if you're a lieutenant captain or chief of police, right? (laughs) You, You need to look at your department and you need to stop worrying about budgets, stop worrying about political status, council members, mayors, whatever the case may be, stop worrying about kissing their ass and start worrying about what is, what your guys are going through, right? And if your guys need tasers, like for example, my department didn't have tasers. If we had tasers that day, probably would have tased his ass, wouldn't be sitting here talking to you. Right. But the reason we didn't have tasers is because tasers cost what, fifteen, seventeen hundred dollars per taser. And if you try to go to a, a town budget for that, they're gonna be like, Absolutely not, there's no reason for it. Or outer carriers, because these officers should be comfortable, but they can't because it's too tactical, right? Or these guys that are driving some piece of shit broke down fucking cars, right? That they're sitting on the side of the road changing their own fucking tire for <laughs> because the town strips too cheap to go buy new cars. These are all the things that are killing your guys' morale and when that shit happens, your officers become lazy. When 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 you have lazy officers, you have complacent officers. When you have complacent officers, you get officers that get injured or killed or don't do the right thing when the critical incidents happen. They they, they become apathetic too. 100%. They just don't care about anything anymore. Right, because just, if your administration doesn't give a shit about you, why are you yeah. going to give a shit about the job? Why am I going to put my life on the line when I have an administration that doesn't give a fuck about me? Right, but in that in that in that exact same context, that split second decision that you need to make when you're on a, a your third or fourth or 12th traffic stop of the goddamn day that you're only doing, right? Because your administration is hounding you because you need mm. to have traffic tickets, right? So you're out there pulling Mrs. McGillicuddy over because she's doing five miles over the speed limit or makes an illegal turn into church, right? When you're doing all that stupid shit, right? Because you're only doing it because your administration's hounding you. All of that is just, that's just taking a little bit from you each and other time, each block. It's just taking it from you. And all of that stress adds up. And then when you come into a very critical incident, seeing a dead kid, going to a horrific car accident, getting into an officer-involved shooting, you look at that, and like I said before, the floodgates opened. So, what, what, what's that, that game where you build up the blocks? Jenga? Jenga, yeah. whatever? Pull it you and push, it, push out one brick every time. Mm-hmm. Push out one brick until that thing's wobbling. Right. All of a sudden, sooner or later, you pull mm-hmm. out the one last brick, and that whole fucking thing's falling over. Right, and then it turns into a lot of... A, a, a lot of uh, commanders don't see that they don't look at their guys they they, 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 just, they lead from the top not yeah. from the front so, well, that's a again a jocko willink they, they don't lead, lead from, from the, the street park. anymore mm-hmm. they lead from a desk yeah so where can our audience find you so i am on instagram i'll give you my personal uh handle it doesn't like i love reaching out to you guys uh so it's going to be m arena that's m a r e n a and that's 35 and it's gonna be underscore after that uh if you want to reach out to any of us um at the officer support initiative 
that's going to be our Instagram handle there. Um, we're starting the nonprofit. That's going to be a big thing. We're making a big splash with that one. All right. We're going to put all those links in our show notes. That'll be fantastic. Yeah. So, um, listen, if you, if you talk to any officers that, that were involved in shit, mm-hmm. you got my cell phone number, man. Give them my number. Yeah. I'm, I'm willing to talk to them anytime. And as there's like, there's a, there's a, there's a good group of us out there that are trying to fix this, but there's needs to be more of us. It has to be done. So Mike and I have found most success in, in matters of like this. It's reaching out to the officer clandestinely outside of their department mm-hmm. and say, yeah. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm so-and-so. Right. This is what happened. And that's reach out to someone who's seen it before, who's yes. lived it before. Right. And that's a big thing that, yeah. I, that I'm seeing. So like uh, with, with the officer support issue, we kind of have almost all angles covered. We have me that's been, you know, the officer involved shooting, um, uh, and then we have, you know, Rick, who's been through Pulse, which is, you know, another very big critical incident. Uh, it was like the, the the largest mass shooting before the Vegas shooting. Yeah. Uh, we have another guy, Brandon, who was a military veteran who uh, watched one of his uh, lieutenants get blown up in front of him from an IED. Uh, then we have another guy, um, Nick, who uh, was a military veteran and tried becoming an officer, was an officer for a few years, realized that this job just was not for him, which is noble as fuck. Right, because some guys just push through, and we all know guys that should never yeah. be cops. It's hard to do because it's a good job, right? And this guy was like, "You know what? I just can't do this anymore," and walked away from it. So we have every angle covered. So if there is something that you want to talk about, even if it's, "Hey, I don't want to do the job anymore," that we have somebody for you. Or it's, "Hey, I got into a shooting. You could, you could like talk to me." Hey, I'm like a military veteran. Stuff's fucking piling up from when I was overseas. We got somebody for that too. Yeah, well, that sounds like you're doing some good work. Yeah, it's uh, we're hoping. So we're coming to the end of this thing. Yeah. And I ask everybody the same question because there are certain things that you learn from all this different suffering you went through from the shooting, from the after effects of the shooting, from the administrative stuff, from mm-hmm. the legal stuff. If you had to pick out something that you have learned personally, Mike Arena, what do you think it is? You're never out of the fight. That's a good that's a good one. You're never yeah. out of the fight. And if and if you think that you are, just make it through the next day. Always always try to go through the next day. Like if, if something's wrong, go to the next day. You know what I mean? Like do it tomorrow. If you think about it, the fight may, may have been taken out of you. Right. But you're never out of the fight. That's it. So it was recently put to me this way. We all survive by our most basic biological function and that's breathing. Mm-hmm. And how do you breathe? You breathe in, mm-hmm. you breathe out. I mean, one, think at, about it, yeah. one at a time. I haven't met anybody yet that can take two breaths at a time. And if you try, if you try to take two breaths at a time, you're going to hyperventilate. Mm. So one breath at a time will get you to the next moment. Yeah. And life, that's all it is. Life's about singular moments. Mm-hmm. And if you just take one moment at a time, you'll get through it. You'll yeah. Through it. And that's, that's amazing advice. And I'm actually going to steal that, that line from you. That's a good one. <laughs> he copyrighted that one. So that's, much. <laughs> yeah, it's, got, it's like, it's like three people. Like is that in a book too? Yes. Absolutely. Okay. It's, uh, it's things that you are written on bathroom walls and yeah. tides, uh, uh, strip bars. There you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. No, I really do appreciate yeah, you guys giving me the time. Like and, I said, uh, when I talked to you today, I said we got a lot in common, and yeah, I know what you went through, man. It's you guys are uh, you guys are doing amazing work, and appreciate. it's people like you that make me want to do what I do. Yeah, well, we're going to continue, and listen, this is not the end of the, this is not the end of the things. We're going to be communicating. Appreciate Once it, you're here, you're absolutely. Family. Thank you very much. That's going to do it for this episode of the Suffering Podcast, part two of the suffering of an officer-involved shooting with Mike Arena. And as always, let's think about all the stuff that we learned today. Help is where helping others is where it's at. When you fail, pick yourself up. Surprises always come from the slowest days. No cop wants to take anyone's life. They want to save it. Physical strength pales in comparison to mental strength. 
Sometimes doing your job is ugly, but most importantly, time will heal and purpose will heal. And that's going to do it for this episode. Don't forget, you can get a digital business card. Go to popple.com, put in the code TSP20 for a 20% discount. You can always listen before you watch all of our audio episodes. Come out on Sunday before they air on YouTube on, on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Don't forget to follow us on all social media, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, uh, LinkedIn, Twitter, Clapper. You can follow Mike at Mike underscore Felice. You can follow me at Real Kevin Donaldson. And of course, follow the Suffering Podcast. And we will see you on the next episode.